0: Well, to be clear, they're both selling each other. Once he heard that she was thinking about bringing legal claims, he rushed the court and filed his lawsuit against her. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily,
1: Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, June 23rd. Today, Eric Gardner is here to talk about the curious legal drama swirling around Robert De Niro and his former assistant, a woman De Niro's girlfriend has accused of stalkerish single white female behavior. There's a lawsuit, a counter lawsuit, and pages and pages of juicy text messages, and Eric has the latest on all of it. And later, Tina Wynne swings by to talk about all the latest drama in the GOP. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. Netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. It's feel I feel like it's peak summertime right now, heading into the 4th of July. I hope everyone's enjoying it out there. I'm joined today by Eric Gardner to talk about somebody who's probably not enjoying his summer very much, and that is Robert De Niro. Eric, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Eric, you've written what is literally right in the strike zone of what Puck covers, which is this cross-section of like power, Hollywood gossip, legal stuff, Going back to 2019, De Niro has been in a legal fight with his former assistant, uh, a woman named Graham Chase Robinson. And he basically sued her for six million dollars for a bunch of things, including uh, using his frequent flyer miles, watching friends on the job, charging Pilates to the company card. She's going back at him and accusing a bunch of stuff. Why did this catch your eye because it seems, it seems a little weird. And when I saw Robert De Niro assistant lawsuit, et cetera, those words, my first thought was, oh, this is a Me Too harassment thing where De Niro was accused of harassing her sexually or doing something weird because it's like a powerful man, younger woman. Turns out, no, De Niro was the one that's suing her and she's pushing back. So what's the
0: latest? Yeah, I mean, the whole mystery of it was why it caught my attention in the first place. I mean, this lawsuit was very bizarre from from the get-go. It was Robert De Niro filing a lawsuit over binge-watching friends and other sorts of things that, you know, we know happens, but no one ever sues over it. And I couldn't quite figure out what was going on here. This was right in the throes of Me Too, so I thought, hmm, maybe there's something here. Uh, This is something that I should just pay attention to. And then it just went on and on and on. And here we are four years later, and we're getting a court ruling, we might be going to trial. I, I mean, it, it's incredible just how much time and legal expenses has gone into this case. And this is one of those cases that you would expect it to sell. You know, you'd expect it to settle within months. I mean, it just seemed so frivolous and all that. But it was just this enduring case um, where, you know, both sides just had a lot of emotion in it and that's what was really intriguing to me um now there's some legal reasons to pay attention to it but from from the get-go i was just more intrigued because i had to figure out what the hell was going on here no one was really saying it and it was the sort of something that you just had to like keep paying attention to to get the answers to
1: let me read one paragraph out loud from your story and you break it down into sort of different chapters of this very toxic working relationship. <laughs> okay, here he goes. Trouble began to brew when a bitter feud erupted between Robinson, that's De Niro's assistant, and Tiffany Chen, De Niro's girlfriend. Chen, who recently gave birth to De Niro's seventh child, held a dim view of Robinson, perceiving her as a territorial figure who didn't play nice with others. She even speculated that Robinson might be in love with De Niro. In fact, according to one text message chain, Chen went so far as to tell another Canal employee that Robinson had disconnected all the chargers on her side of the bed and commented how the situation had become, quote, very single white female, a reference to the chilling 1992 movie about an obsessive roommate. As tensions simmered, Robinson found herself stripped of responsibilities at De Niro's lavish townhouse. (laughs) So, like, this gets, like, extremely personal and weird. And I guess I'm curious without rendering judgment from afar, because I don't know Robert De Niro and I don't know Robinson, but do either of these people have a history of like being difficult or weird or dangerous even?
0: Well, what I can tell, because I I looked at a lot of text messages there were, there, were <laughs> there, was, there was a voluminous amount of text messages in the record here not just between the parties themselves but robert de niro's girlfriend and other employees at uh, robert de niro's company and what i could really say is that it does not seem at all like this woman this assistant was was particularly well liked it seemed like she was doing things that were getting on everyone's nerves but she had commanded so much loyalty from Robert De Niro to the to basically the puzzlement of, of, of everyone else around her, and so what was basically going on was everyone was gossiping about about the relationship. Trying to figure out like what was going on, like what, what was between these two? Like why was this woman being kept around when she wasn't perceived as being like a particularly good employee? She would mm-hmm. refuse to do things. They would, you know, they would tell her, Okay, we're having a, a birthday party for Martin Scorsese and she would say, Great, so I'm gonna buy, you know, this kind of napkins. And Robert De Niro would say, No, don't buy that those type of napkins. And she'd say, No, I'm gonna buy them anyway. It, it was just like uh, weird stuff going on. And everyone was telling Robert De Niro, I, I think you should get rid of this person. And he was just very loyal to a fault up until the very end. And then it all kind of like broke and the dam broke. And the feud happened with his girlfriend and, and this uh, assistant. And then she found out about why, you know, she was basically being demoted. Just set off a chain reaction of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know, also, De Niro had seven kids, which is almost as many Academy Awards as he has. (laughs) Um, How many employees are there at his company? Like, you mentioned people whispering about, what is this person doing? I admit ignorance here. Like, I don't know how big this company is.
0: Sure. Well, Weber De Niro has a few different companies. I mean, he he co-founded Tribeca. I don't think he's no longer operational control of, of that festival but this company canal was basically what's called his loan out company the the one that mm-hmm. you know loans out his services when you want to hire him to be an actor uh or a director or or you know any any sort of person on on set so it was basically reviewing the scripts that people would send and you know making recommendations to him and then just like you know basically like you know the, the company that was very very close to him personally, not a very big company. It was a pretty small mm-hmm. company. There were there were just you know a half dozen you know or so people involved in it. But these were people who were coming in and out of his life. They were you know very close to him and basically set, setting up his day to day activities.
1: And the other thing that really, like you said, like this a lot of this feels weird. Like when I saw a six million dollar lawsuit, again, I assumed the assistant was suing the principal. Turns out it's the opposite. Why does Robert De Niro, like, what legal argument does he have that she should be sued for $6 million? Presumably he doesn't need the money uh, and she does.
0: Well, to be clear, they're both suing each other. Uh, you know, uh, once he heard that she was thinking about bringing legal claims, he rushed the court and filed his lawsuit against her, claimed personal theft, and then and then she filed in a different jurisdiction, mm. and she claimed gender discrimination and, and a bunch of other different claims. And then for the first year of this entire dispute, it was just figuring out which case was going to proceed and, and in what fashion, which judge was going to hear it. And eventually, actually, it was her lawsuit that was going to proceed, and Robert De Niro ended up b- bringing counterclaims. I think she's actually demanding twelve million dollars for, for her, on her gender mm. discrimination claim, so it's more than six million. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, those frequent flyer miles, I guess, were valuable. I mean, they've been estimated <laughs> that they were worth a few hundred thousand dollars. But I think to Robert De Niro it was just like the, it, it was just like you know a statement. Like I can't believe that she did this to me. Sort of thing, like yeah, you know, yeah. I think it like really stems from from an emotional standpoint more than this really hurt his wallet.
1: Yeah, well, I can identify with Robert De Niro on one thing, which is I do love those Delta Sky Miles, uh, <laughs> his airline of choice when he's not flying private. Eric, thank you as always for reading the legal filings, so we don't have to <laughs> and sourcing stories like this. I assume you'll come back on when the next shoe drops in this De Niro scandal. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. All right, everyone, Snoop Dogg once said there's so much drama in the LBC, but when we come back, Tina Wynn is here to wrap on why there's so much drama in the GOP. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me/slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free. If you don't like it with their sleep trial, visit wwwsleepsleepme slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep. You're creating a better life.
2: Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy here with Tina Wynn. Happy Friday, Tina.
3: Happy Friday to you too. Uh, let's uh, let's do it.
2: <laughs> well, Tina, it it seems like it's been sort of a, a weird few weeks for House Republicans between the debt ceiling drama, the Freedom Caucus defectors canceling votes, and then they were threatening to blow up the appropriations process. We've had multiple censure votes for Adam Schiff, um the most recent one being successful. Now there are these impeachment votes which have been sort of punted off to various committees. Nancy Pelosi (laughs) mocked the Republicans the other day on the House floor saying that they look, quote, miserable. Do you think that's true?
3: Yes, absolutely, 100% they are miserable. Kevin McCarthy has to deal with a whole bunch of cats in a bag and they all hate him. And the MAGA people hate each other and the moderates hate the MAGA people and the House Freedom Caucus is like, we want to do populism. Why can't we do populism? And it's because they're all fighting each other. And yeah, I would uh, really hate to be a member of the uh, House GOP conference right now. (laughs)
2: Yeah, well, I mean, definitely, it's got to be a huge headache for McCarthy, for the more establishment minded people who maybe want to do actual policy. Are, are members of the protest caucus actually having fun? The, the, the Taliban 20, the insurgents, whatever we want to call this shifting group of people who have been just causing a ruckus, having their tantrums. Obviously, they're not advancing policy, they're not passing laws, but they have been pushing these symbolic votes. They're not going anywhere, but but presumably they're getting some kind of attention for themselves. Maybe that's enough. Maybe that's all they want right now.
3: Here's the thing. In a lot of other situations, them being able to gum up the works would be fun. I think in the past it would have been fun. But you have to understand the dynamic coming into this right now. They successfully held up McCarthy's speakership, and they believed that they were going to get things in exchange. Substantial populist things like a lower budget, um, more impeachment proceedings, yada, yada, yada. But with the debt ceiling drama from a couple weeks ago, it became really clear to them that McCarthy would do up to what he thought was feasible in order to placate them. And then when push comes to shove, he would cave. They were so pissed off with him about that. And The thing I kept hearing out of the caucus was like he's violating the power sharing agreement. The thing is, there's like really no power sharing agreement that they can point to and say, here's exactly what you promised us. Because it was like never written down anywhere and no Mm -hmm. one ever actually outlined what it was supposed to be. So right now it's this weird situation of like, okay, we want to do these things. We want to fuck over the establishment. We want to impeach Biden and whatever. But now there's all of these roadblocks in the way not just procedural but like from within even our own ideological allies right now i think we can't go through this segment without talking about the marjorie taylor green versus lauren boebert fight because oh my god i have been waiting for this to happen for months now <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's it's the new season of uh, real housewives of potomac
3: Let's recap what's going on between these two figures. So for months and months and months, the two of them have had this low-grade mutual loathing of each other. Can't particularly point to a reason why. I'm personally not aware of any. But what you kept seeing in the press over the past couple of months have been the two of them just like lobbing insults at each other. And it really blew up into public when MTG supported McCarthy for speaker. Over the past couple of months, there have been reports of them yelling at each other in the bathroom, uh, making these snide remarks about each other to reporters. Earlier this week, the two of them were caught on the floor arguing over who stole whose idea to impeach Joe Biden first. And Marjorie Taylor Greene says to her, and I quote, you're being a little bitch about this. (laughs) Three people overheard this on the House, including one Republican lawmaker. And then when the Daily Caller went to MTG and asked, did you say that? She said something along the lines of like, that is impeccably correct. Yes, I did.
2: It's totally incredible. Uh, Let's let's talk about the impeachment push. So both of them have introduced this idea that articles of impeachment should be introduced. It doesn't seem like anyone agrees on what the articles of impeachment might actually be about. I mean, we were talking about this on the House floor the other day. People were throwing out all sorts of possible reasons that that Biden had failed on the southern border, that he had botched the withdrawal from Afghanistan. There was stuff about energy policy. Of course, there's this idea that the Biden family is involved in some giant, sprawling international fraud, that they are constitute some kind of crime syndicate. Again, there are no specific crimes that have been alleged. There is sort of this vaporware aspect to all of this. But it seems like for now... McCarthy's dealing with this by, by taking the the Boebert or the MTG impeachment push, whoever you want to credit it to, and it's being pushed out into two committees that are going to look at this. So they've kind of punted on this for now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mm-hmm. run through the more formal, credible channels, and we'll see if anything comes of it.
3: Right. And at the same time, there's a bit of a um, MAGA political chess going on here, right? Because the question at play here is... Take, you know, their personal hatred of each other out of it. Who is the most MAGA? Who is the person who can get Biden's scalp first? And if MTG can do it, she will be the queen. If Lauren Bober can do it, she will be the queen. And whoever can successfully land it first will be the person who is the purest MAGA, who is the most determined MAGA person who can actually pull off something that they've promised to the base for a really, really long time. Even getting it to a floor vote, I think, would be really successful on their part, or getting it out of a committee. And I'll put it this way. If MTG can do it, her approach of like compromising and negotiating and getting allies within the House would set her up for life, and I think would change the face of the movement if her attempt fails and Bobert succeeds, then that incentivizes more people to be, you know, destructive, hostage-taking insurgents from here on out. And politically right now, the momentum, I think, would be in Bobert's corner because MTG is fighting in a position of inauthenticity. Like, right now, there are a whole bunch of MAGA online personalities. Take that with a grain of salt, but These guys kind of determined the barometer of the conversation. There are all these personalities going, Marjorie Taylor Green, you are a fraud because you actually haven't filed good articles of impeachment, and you're not walking the walk, and Lauren Boebert's walking the walk. And basically, to make it all less complicated, this is a battle of who is less of a MAGA grifter, who can actually follow through on a promise versus who's just saying it in order to keep going on Newsmax or whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I guess it all sort of comes down to how you define success here, because this this does seem like House Republicans may be punting this for now, but it's still going to be a major headache for McCarthy in the long run, because you can't actually make this empty calorie road to nowhere, messy impeachment process go away just by shunting it off into the committees. You're essentially delaying the inevitable because they're either going to go there. They're not going to actually turn up any impeachable offenses. And these members are going to have lost face with their constituents. Or, you know, perhaps they do turn up something that, that shows that, you know, Biden was actually taking millions of dollars from Burisma. And it wasn't just Hunter who was sort of running around the globe, taking money from shady corporations. We'll see if something comes from this. And, you know, Right now, this does seem like a kind of compromise where you can appease the base by saying you're actually doing something here, while also appeasing the more establishment-minded members by allowing it to go through these proper channels. But the animal spirits have been unleashed. McCarthy has given the green light to Green and Boebert, essentially, to move forward with this. And now it's going to have to run its course.
3: Right. I don't think he anticipated it turning into the cat fight it currently is. I didn't anticipate it turning into a cat fight. I honestly thought that there would be members of the 20 that would be more in cohesion with this. Even I think even members of the initial 20 that opposed McCarthy have publicly been on the record going like, hey, we got to like roll this back a little bit. This is not the best idea. So, yeah, it's just it's just like too many people wanting too many things at once. It's it's messy. <laughs> Yeah. And I
2: mean, you know, to put on my, my capital S serious pundit hat for a moment, I mean, the, the loser here is sort of all of us because, look, nothing is getting done in this Congress right now. You know, you, you have consultants and, and lobbyists, even on the Republican side, who are watching this upset day after day as you have these various votes get canceled. They're they're burning through the legislative calendar. They're, they're going to go to recess soon. And you and, you know, for for Republicans, there are opportunities here to be keeping the heat on Democrats, to divide them by forcing them to take unpopular votes ahead of the 2024 election. And instead, Republicans are just fighting each other in, in the most public, messy way. It's, it's a bad look and it doesn't really serve anybody.
3: It's vibes, Ben. MAGA is all about vibes. <laughs> you have to accept it. We've been doing this for seven years, Ben.
2: It's all about vibes. Tina, thanks as always for stopping by. Always great to have you.
3: All right. Happy weekend, everybody.
2: Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey.